0: listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to another special report from the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. I'm the co-host of Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network, and I am here today with David Latt. We are broadcasting from the Clio Cloud Conference in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, David Latt, of course, uh, well-known, I'm sure, to all of our listeners, but David is the founder and managing editor of Above the Law He is writing, has also appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Observer, the Washingtonian Magazine, and the New York Magazine. Before entering the journalism world, he worked as a federal prosecutor in New Jersey, litigation associate at Wachtel Lipton in New York, and a law clerk to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. David is a graduate of Harvard College and Yale Law School. Welcome to our special report here, David. Great to be here, Bob. Thanks for having me. great, Great to have you. Uh, you know, I know you spoke today at the conference, uh, and uh, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about what your topic was and what you talked about.
1: So my topic was how lawyers can harness the power of social media to enhance their practice.
0: And what were you talking about? Were you talking about Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, blogs? Uh, and...
1: Actually, we kind of covered the waterfront, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. We even had a brief discussion of Pinterest and Instagram, uh, a foray into YouTube. Uh, We tried to cover a lot of the different options out there.
0: Well, from your perspective, how important is it for lawyers to be on social media?
1: Well, I think the lawyerly answer is, it depends. Uh, I think that if, for lawyers who are solos or who have small law firms, like many here at the Clio Cloud Conference, I think it is important because a lot of them are consumer-facing and they want to be where the, the potential clients are, and the clients are on social media, It's a little bit harder if you're representing some huge company in some giant transaction. Maybe they're not looking for their lawyer on social media. But I think that for a lot of small firm lawyers, it's a great place to be.
0: Well, let's stick with that. We're talking kind of about small firm lawyers a lot at this conference. We're talking about lawyers who are starting to use the cloud in their practice. Uh, Are there particular social media platforms that you feel are essential for a lawyer to be involved in?
1: Well, I think the one uh, social media space that people find very safe is LinkedIn. Essentially, it's a combination of two things that lawyers can get. It's your resume and it's a Rolodex. And so it doesn't have the kind of fear factor that is associated with some of the other platforms where technology skittish or confidentiality concerned lawyers might be a little worried. I think LinkedIn is a very safe space for lawyers.
0: I hear it said a lot that there are a lot of lawyers who are on LinkedIn, but very few who are using it or using it well. What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, so in my remarks, I was actually trying to offer a few tips on how to make the most of LinkedIn. For example, people don't often have a creative headline for their... for their profile. Now, I also read some examples of pretty bad ones, and you can get a little bit too cutesy with them, but I think a lot of people underutilize that. It's a great way to give a little elevator pitch about who you are and what your practice is. Uh, For myself, uh, I've since changed it, but one of my earlier ones was uh, Legal Blogger Extraordinaire, which is kind of catchy. Uh, That was my earlier LinkedIn headline. And then I think right below that, where you have the summary, that's another great opportunity to provide a capsule bio of yourself, but a lot of people don't do that. They'll just list name, rank, serial number, the various positions they've been in and where they went to law school. So there's a lot of underexploited real estate on LinkedIn. What about
0: Beyond the Profile on LinkedIn, about engaging on LinkedIn? What do you recommend lawyers do? Right?
1: Well, it's interesting. One area that people disagree on, and I think one of the theories that I was trying to put forth in my panel is, different things are right for different people. You have to see what you're comfortable with. And uh, you'll even see experts, including experts at this very conference, disagreeing on issues. So it's a little, and social media is still in its infancy, so it's hard to say, well, this is the right way to do it and this is the wrong way. Uh, But one option on LinkedIn is publishing on LinkedIn. I know some people who really love it. They say they get to put out profession-related content. They get a nice audience. But then I have other people who say, well, actually, it's better to own and control the platform as opposed to being beholden to LinkedIn. But it's something that people should certainly take a look at and see if they might be interested in. Uh, what about Twitter? Are,
0: what do you recommend about Twitter? Do you use Twitter?
1: Yes. So I'm a very active Twitter user. I have about 14,000 followers. Above the Law has more than 80,000. And Twitter is great. It's a great way to both follow the news and to share the news. And I think the central point I was trying to make about Twitter with respect to lawyers is lawyers are actually creating a surprising amount of content, not just advertising-type content, as in hire me, but kind of what you could call content marketing, something that is actually useful to readers who have a particular legal problem, but is kind of subtly demonstrating the lawyer's knowledge and therefore why you might want to hire the lawyer. A lot of lawyers are creating this great content, but they're not sharing it with the world. It's like the tree that falls in the forest and nobody hears it. So I think Twitter is a really powerful platform for, sh- for lawyers to share the great content that they are already generating.
0: One of the things that always strikes me about Twitter is that you you, you kind of get it when you start using it, but until then, it's yes. really hard to get your arms yes. around. And so how, yeah. do you, how do you explain it to lawyers? How do you explain the value of Twitter? Well, the, I
1: think it's really important. So much of the value of Twitter lies in the engagement, in the conversation. For the first, I think, I'm embarrassed to admit this, for the first two years, I was just misusing Twitter. I was using it just for outgoing stuff. Maybe I had it synced to my Facebook status or something, but it was really just a repository for things about me. But the point is, Twitter is social media. It's social. It's about a conversation. So if you aren't tweeting at people or retweeting or uh, engaged in the conversation, you're missing out.
0: Uh, and then, what about Facebook? I, you know, a lot, I think uh, among lawyers, I've often heard the sort of debate about should Facebook be just for my personal close friends, or should I make it a, a professional platform? What do you suggest along those
1: lines? I think you can do both with Facebook. I think you can create a page for your firm, for your business, and then of course have your personal page. The tricky thing, and this was interesting, I learned about these issues from some of the lawyers uh, who attended my talk because I invited them to give me their feedback. The tricky thing is mixing that space. I spoke to one lawyer who had a really interesting dilemma. She talked about how sometimes she's friends, uh, she's Facebook friends with some of her clients. And at any given time, she will owe a client something, whether it's a draft of something or an unreturned email or what have you. Sometimes on Facebook, she just wants to vent. She just wants to or she might talk about a movie she just saw or that she just went out to dinner and she always feels guilty doing that with that kind of status update because she'll think, wow, these clients see that I just checked out this new movie or that I had time to go to the park and I haven't drafted that memo yet. So there are perils to blending the personal and the professional but also as uh, Kevin O'Keefe and others have pointed out, there are advantages. People see you as a friend. They see you as somebody they can talk to about problems and maybe some of those problems might turn into legal work. God forbid they think their lawyers are human. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> There's been a lot of
0: talk over the last, I don't know, six months or so that blogs are dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your take on that? What do you think about that? I
1: don't think blogs are dying, but I would say, and this is something we see it Above the Law. Blogs have to work harder. I think part of the problem is that in the age of social media, people don't necessarily go to blogs as much as they used to as freestanding destinations. You either need to use social media to have to bring readers to your blog and or search, uh, making sure that people are uh, searching for certain topics and being directed to your site. Uh, so I don't say I don't think blogs are dead. Our traffic on Above the Law is actually great. July was one of our biggest months ever, actually. But you have to work harder.
0: Yeah. Well, well, it's hard to say that Above the Law is typical of Oh, of sure, what, sure. Uh, yeah, but just is. generally,
1: people have talked about how. It is harder to get people to read your blog, and that is definitely something I've heard from bloggers, big and small.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I wondered whether you even still think of Above the Law as a blog, or is it something else at this point?
1: Yes, I think we've probably, and this is kind of why I changed my LinkedIn headline away from legal, Legal Blogger Extraordinaire, I think it has moved somewhat beyond... The blog. We, yes, we do have chronologically organized articles, but we also have a career center and law school rankings and 15 to 20 outside contributors as well as our four full time writers. And so it is beyond what you would conventionally view as a blog. I mean, you're kind
0: of a, a one man history of blogging in the sense that you went from literally being an anonymous blogger, a lawyer practicing in the US Attorney's Office in, in uh, New Jersey, to uh, probably you know, if not the most well-known legal blogger, one of them. How does a lawyer just breaking into blogging (laughs) get recognized and get known?
1: Well, this was actually something I touched upon in my topic, too. I think you it's a lot harder, I have to say. I was lucky to enter this field 10 years ago when there were many fewer people. Uh, You know, we were around, but there were not really as many people jostling for attention. Uh, So I consider myself just kind of lucky. But uh, I did offer some advice on blogging, and I talked about the need to be specific. Legal practice is so complex nowadays, it's hard to just be a general interest law blogger. You need to kind of Establish a niche that you're going to own and become recognized as a thought leader in. So I said it's very important to be specific, and I offered a couple of other short tips. To be interesting, obviously. Uh, To be careful, because sometimes your blogging can get you in trouble, and we talked about some examples of that. To be regular, because a lot of people will blog once or twice, and then, oh, then they disappear for months. That can be kind of a problem as well. Uh, And to be patient, because I think for people who are looking at blogging as a business development tactic, uh, it can take a while to bring in rewards. Yeah. Other
0: than how you position your blog, how do you build up awareness about it? How do you get people to know it's out there and to get people to start reading it?
1: Well, I think part of it is through social media, certainly, by using Twitter and Facebook. Part of it is just talking it up amongst your friends, really. Uh, the word of mouth is often how you'll hear about things. And then the other thing is sometimes, and this can be a little bit harder for practicing lawyers, but certainly for me, in terms of my blogging, if you do something that is a little bit edgy or controversial, that can kind of put you on the map. It's harder for practicing lawyers who are using it for business development. I will concede that. Yeah
0: i have heard it said uh, that that above the law is now the most influential publication in the legal industry or legal field hey, what How do you see it what what's your response to that
1: well, it's very flattering <laughs> I mean there are a lot of other there are a lot of other competitors in the space, but uh we are glad that eight years in we are definitely up there uh yeah.
0: Do you see yourself that mean, Do you see it as an influential publication? Are you? Do you think about that as your... No, as absolutely.
1: Your uh, for example, we do think about what influence we might have, and we try to exercise it for good and responsibly. So, for example, we were one of the forces, I would say, behind uh... people being more careful about deciding whether to go to law school uh... we wrote extensively about that in terms of just weighing the costs and benefits and doing your research before you uh... dive in and we've been quite critical of some law schools for hiding the ball on their employment statistics so certainly we've had influence there Um, We've certainly had influence in covering the world of large law firms and trying to encourage greater transparency and honesty about say personnel moves layoffs uh... things of that nature uh, so we've we've definitely uh, tried to be a player in the space, absolutely.
0: As a reader of your blog, it's been apparent to me over the last, again,
1: maybe over the last year, maybe
0: two, that you've really been broadening the coverage, it seems to me. You've, you've kind of gone, you used to be sort of seen as maybe more of a big firm uh, blog, you've kind of gone down, uh, <laughs> you know, you've got... Uh, You know, people writing about solos and people writing about technology, writing about the business of law. Uh, What's what's the future for Above the Law? Where do you see this all heading?
1: Well, I think we will continue to expand, partly because... Uh, That shift away from focusing on large firms and to cover in-house and small firms and solos kind of reflects the shift in the conversation you're seeing in the legal profession itself. Uh, I think that a lot more of the buzz and the conversation and the discussion that used to be centered on large firms has now sort of uh, become more diffuse and more evenly distributed throughout the profession. So I would say certainly we're going to continue to do that. Uh, Our law school rankings from two years ago were very well received. So we might uh, we will continue to do those. And we might expand perhaps into the realm of uh, ranking law firms. That's uh, certainly on our radar screen. Uh, And we also uh, feel that our career offerings are important. We we have a career center with profiles of firms and schools and articles offering advice. And in this day and age, it's more important for lawyers, it's more important than ever for lawyers to be knowledgeable about the shaping of their careers.
0: Well, let's get to the really important stuff now. You've just about to publish your, your first novel.
1: Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, Tell us about it. Yeah, Tell us so, what the title is, uh, what it's about. It'll be forthcoming from the ABA probably in December of this year. It's entitled Supreme Ambitions. It's the uh, professional coming-of-age story of a young and ambitious law clerk who is working for a rather ambitious judge as well, and uh, it's gotten uh, some good buzz and some good reviews so far. Uh, I've gotten some blurbs from Judge Posner and Judge Kaczynski, and Judge Kopf wrote a very nice review of it on his blog, so uh, fingers crossed. And why did you want to do this? What drove you to write a book? Well, it's something that actually I had been wanting to do for a long time. I had the idea for this book, I think, back in 2000 and six maybe, but it took a long time to actually bring it to fruition. But certainly, writing a book has always been something I wanted to do, and I'm an avid reader of fiction, and uh, so it was something that I really wanted to get on the radar screen. Based at all on your own life or people <laughs> you know? The uh, A lot of the characters, I would say, are composites. I certainly wanted to make the novel realistic, so I did incorporate my real-life knowledge of judges and law clerks. Uh, but I wouldn't say that The main two characters are based on anyone specific. Uh, They reflect traits I've seen in clerks and judges over the years.
0: And where can people get it?
1: Uh, It can be, uh, it's available on Amazon uh, for pre-order, actually. Thanks for the opportunity for a plug, Bob. (laughs) Sure, why not? Uh, uh, And it can also be, uh, I think it should also be available on the ABA website as well. Excellent.
0: So, back to social media. What's what, what would be your how how would you kind of wrap up your advice? What would be your sort of closing piece of advice to our listeners on on what they should be doing about social media?
1: I would say two things. Uh, don't uh, be scared of it, because I think a lot of lawyers, especially lawyers at large firms, are a little bit scared of it. Don't be scared of it. It really is just a matter of exercising good judgment, which lawyers are paid to do every day. And the second thing I would say is don't be afraid to experiment. Try what works for you. See what you enjoy. Check out the different platforms. Look at the different tools for maximizing those platforms. Uh, but just play around a bit and have fun with it.
0: Well, David Ladd, a real pleasure to speak to you. Really, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks again, Bob. Really enjoyed it. Well, great. Well, that wraps up this special report from the Clio Cloud Conference here in Chicago. Uh, this is Bob Ambroji signing off.